have your Bibles or the HP app, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20. As Pastor Marshall has already mentioned, we've been in the season of Epiphany going through this idea of manifest. We've been walking you through this book of 1 Corinthians and how 1 Corinthians, according to Paul, tells us how we can manifest Jesus in our own lives, how we together as the church can manifest Jesus together, and how we can manifest as the church Jesus to the world. And here we come to chapter 15 where it's all about resurrection. And so today we're going to look at how to manifest this resurrected life that we have in Christ Jesus. And so allow me to read this before we get into looking at verses 12 through 20. <clears throat> now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Let's pray. Father, may your will be done. Jesus, may your word be proclaimed. And Spirit, may your work be revealed and effectual in us, I pray. Amen. Now, as I've said, Paul in 1 Corinthians is actually taking you on a stroll through the streets of downtown Corinth. The church of Corinth is facing all kinds of issues with a pagan world out there that is seeking to influence them. And so what they're trying to do is to figure out what Paul is explaining to them is how it is that they ought to live their lives personally, corporately, and in this world that is opposed to everything they believe. And he comes not to a conclusion in chapter 15, because chapter 15 seems like it's the end of the book. But I would not present it as a conclusion. I would actually present it as an introduction to all of the questions and the difficulties that the church at Corinth is having. And what he does is saying, here, let me introduce you to the life you are called to live, a resurrected life. This is what Paul is getting to. And so the, the issues that they're struggling with, with uni, disunity and the cults trying to seek their way to mix themselves among Christians, he says, don't worry about these things because we are called to a resurrected life. And what Paul writes to them is most needed for us today. You can open up your Twitter feed or scroll through social media and you will find the same things that the church of Corinth dealt with, we also deal with today. Maybe it is to uh, things that the uh, sorry. Maybe it is is more evolved. The things we deal with are more evolved or given a new name. But when you strip it down, the same issues of disunity, cults, trust issues, what is wise, what is true, how we ought to work together as a church, how the Christian life ought to be lived in the face of uncertainty, ridicule, and council culture, changing eye with 
the regards to changing ideologies and the alike. Moreover, it seems to me that Paul is urging the church to live in a holistic faith, not just partial faith. It is evident to me that we hold more weight in the redemption side of our faith. We walk around knowing that our sins are forgiven, but give little thought or little effort in living into the resurrection side of our faith. We are content to be saved from something, sin, and forget that we are also at the same time saved to something, hope. We have stopped at the door of redemption, being completely satisfied with the forgiveness of sins and second chances, but are missing the room that that open door has led us into. If this is the case for you, then your faith is only half full. My aim today is to make your your faith complete and full and overflowing. And so I want to take you on a walk, not to downtown Corinth. I want to take you a walk down Resurrection Lane. And here is what I want us to look at today. First, I want to show you what a world is like where resurrection is a lie, where it doesn't exist. Then I want to show you a world in which resurrection is a life and it does exist. And then lastly, I want to share with you the stories of those who live the resurrected life. First, a world where resurrection is a lie. Look at verses 12 through 18 with me, beginning with verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached, then he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Here, Paul begins to say, okay, if you say there's no resurrection from the dead, even though we've preached that he is, let's let's entertain that for a moment. Let's see what a world looks like where resurrection is a lie. Look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised." So here is the image of the world as resurrection is a lie. One, the gospel's false. It's not true. Your faith is false. It means nothing. God isn't real, and he's false. The things we testify about what we believe about God isn't true. And then there's also no savior. There is something to be said about this world where resurrection is a lie. It denies everything we believe, but it also is a world where there are half-truths or incomplete truths that don't make us any better. In other words, if there is only redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and no resurrection, then no matter how many times you are forgiven, you are still living in a world where resurrection is a lie and there is no Savior. No truth or half-truth. In a world where resurrection is a lie, neither one offers you any benefit. That's pretty powerful, Paul. Not only are the things that you believe false, but the things that are false are the things you ought to believe. Look at verse 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If you have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So the things that we claim not to be true should be the things that we claim to be true. It should be the things that we believe in, that we are sinners, and that's it. That death is all there is, and that's it. That Jesus isn't the Messiah or Savior or has redeemed the world. And that the people that say, oh, I feel sorry for you guys for believing such false things. That's a world where resurrection is a lie. Felons remain felons. Poor decisions don't get redeemed. The harvest isn't taken in. Broken families remain broken. Sin is king and isn't forfeited. Love fails. Injustice reigns. And justice becomes an impossible idea and not worthy of our thoughts. That is the world where resurrection is a lie. That is the life that you have been living before you met Jesus. That it's a horrible world. But praise be to God that the, that, that world doesn't exist. So let's look at now the real world, the real reality, a world where resurrection is a life. Look at verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Paul, in a phrase, confirms that the world where resurrection is a lie isn't reality. For indeed, Christ has been raised. So the reality is that the world we live in is one where resurrection is life. And Jesus is the first to show us. That's what he says in verse 20. That Jesus has been raised. So you are no longer a sinner. We do have a Savior. Life can be restored. Your life can be redeemed because of the resurrection. You no longer have to stay at the end of your rope. You no longer have to come and be in the pit forever. You can be raised up out of it. That is reality. You can see those who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ again. You will see your loved ones again. You will live with Christ on high. And it's just not a reality that is something we're waiting for. It's also reality that is presently with us. And that's what I'd have you know most of all. <clears throat> Sorry, my, my mouth's a little dry here this morning. God provides a sure hope of resurrection that has been realized in Jesus Christ and that has a present effect upon our life right now. True life is meant to be lived in light of resurrection, not just redemption. Lived in assurance because Jesus has done it and it will be done to us because we have access to the same power that conquers death, namely the Holy Spirit. And we are more than conquerors, according to Romans 8, 37, because of the resurrection. 
is not that we just get the forgiveness of sins and then we repeat it again and again. But no, you now possess the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and gave life to him. That power lives in you. Thank you. That power lives in you to overcome sin. So that sin that easily entangles you, that you feel entrapped in, that you want to escape but don't find yourself escaping, is the lie of the res- in a world where resurrection is a lie. You can overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So here's what the resurrection life is. It's like two peas in a pod. 1 Corinthians 6.14, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. The same life that Jesus has and is experiencing, the resurrected life, we too get to experience. So how we live matters. Since resurrection happens to the physical body, it is a resurrected life that should be evident in our physical bodies. What we do with our bodies matter. What we look at, what we touch, what we think, what we feel, we harness our flesh with the power of the resurrection and make it our slave in the present time. And to make it do what we ought to be doing with the resurrection reality. In other words... Is that what, what you're doing now? Is that what you're going to be doing later when Jesus returns? What you believe concerning the resurrection drives your actions and decisions in this life. What you involve and don't involve yourself in. How you treat your body, how you suffer, how you endure. Is all evidence on what you believe and have faith in. And I would present to you and lift up before you that if you only are clinging to redemption, the forgiveness of sins, then it is not a full faith. I'm asking you, and I'm pleading with you, and I'm declaring to you that a full faith is lived out with the belief of resurrection, now and to come. The resurrected life is an enduring journey. Resurrection is a life after death, victory from defeat, restoring what is broken, being made holy. This reality begins at your rebirth in Christ and comes to completion when Christ returns. All those who believe and have received the Spirit are on a journey from the point of death to eternal life. You aren't going from point A and skipping over to point B. You are journeying through point A To point B, never to look back, but to press forward. This is why the kingdom, all eternity, isn't fit for those who put their hand to the plow and look back. Nor is it for someone like the wife of Lot who turns into a pillar of salt because she looked back at sin. It is a life that progresses forward and lives in to the resurrected life. The resurrected life is the light of all life. Those whose faith is in Christ are being reborn to manifest in their present life the power of resurrection. This reality of every believer is then meant meant to be employed to bring resurrection into the world and the lives of others so that by the power that freed them from sin and death would also free the world and its inhabitants from the grips of sin and death. 
bringing life to the things which are dead. John 1.4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. All of us are called to live in Christ, who is raised from the dead, so therefore we carry around in our bodies the light of the resurrected life, which means everywhere we go, every person we encounter, we have the opportunity to use that light and to bring it into their life that is full of darkness and sin. We don't hide our light under a bushel. Isn't this what we tell our kids? Make them sing? We're, our light is meant to be shine, shining, to be radiant. We are meant to be a city on the hill that the world riddled in sin and death and failure can look to for hope and invite that hope in through Jesus. Jesus is the first fruits. He currently right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, as if to say that nobody can come to the Father but through him. And in a sense, what Paul is also saying is that nobody comes to Jesus but through you. That you bring the gospel, that you bring the resurrected life to them so that they can know Jesus and then they can get to the Father and have a relationship with the Almighty. He employs us to do that. We lift Jesus up for that purpose in our lives. So that means where, wherever you work, wherever you shop, wherever you gas up, wherever you, whoever you talk to, wherever you go, you are the manifestation of the resurrected life, and only we possess it. Nothing in the world offers that, but only those who are in Christ. John 12, 32, and if I, Jesus, if I am lifted up from the earth, if Jesus is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to himself. And how has he done that? But he's asked us and he's commissioned us to lift him up so that men will be drawn to him. The resurrected life is a vicious cycle put to rest. Paul claims that without resurrection, redemption is meaningless and unable to rise above the vicious cycle of sin, confess, forgive, repeat. Sin, confess, forgive, repeat. That's all there is to only redemption without resurrection. But life for humanity was created to experience love, joy, and communion with the divine. A life without limits and boundaries. A freedom to mingle and bathe in pure love and light. If you only go as far as seeking forgiveness for your sins, you are nowhere close to experiencing life as it was created to be lived out. Your faith is not complete. Only life and resurrection can truly liberate you into a life of rest from your enemies of sin and death. Romans 8, 9, and 10. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. You are called now to not only believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but to believe in Jesus so that you can live rightly and overcome the sin in your life. 
You are saved to a life, to live a new life filled with the Spirit, to walk in holiness, to truly image God without flaw or blemish. It is because of the resurrection life that you can overcome the sin that so easily entangles you. Resurrection overcomes sin. It just, it's just that many of you don't believe or exercise its power to overcome sin in your own life. It is not that you will stop sinning in this life, but that you should be making victories over the sin in your life. The ones that have entangled you should eventually, through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and bringing that resurrected life and living that out, should be able to overcome. That is the hope that we believe. That is our confession in Christ that we receive. When I was a child, I behaved like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things away. When I was in the flesh, I lived in the flesh, but when I was reborn in the spirit, I put the things of the flesh away and began to live undefeated. That's the resurrection life. The resurrection life brings victory and liberty. Sin and death are the powers of Satan that hold you down. Christ has overcome them, and he has bound Satan up with the chains that he once shackled you in. There is no one else who can wield the power to break the chains. Christ has set you free. And if you are free, then you are truly free. Free from the fear of being a slave to sin. What Christ has afforded you in this life and the one to come is a life raised from slavery to freedom. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, 58. This is, one of, this is the one that makes your hair on your head grow, except for me, it's more my arms than my back. But I love this. Listen to this. This is the word of God. It is true. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection life is resurrection and not a prosperity gospel. The power of resurrection is displayed by what is accomplished in death, not by avoiding it. Jesus endured the cross and death, but then was raised from it. The poor in spirit inherit the kingdom. One must die to have the power of resurrection take root in their life. True power comes not in avoiding the difficulties in life, but living through the difficulties. That's the difference between the resurrected life and all the gloriousness that comes in it versus the prosperity gospel. It's not about feeding your flesh or feeding your desires, but it's about making God's will and desires coming true and manifest in your life and the life of others. Philippians 3, this is why Paul says to the Philippians that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul there connects the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sufferings and death that Christ endured. So it's not, I'm not presenting to you a life that you're not going to have any hardships or difficulties or trials, but I'm 
presenting to you the power that will help you sustain, be sustained, and move through them rightly. He goes on to say, Paul does to the Philippians, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the resurrection life that Paul is spelling out to his friends, brothers and sisters of the church at Philippi. But here's a word of caution. This is also the reason why many of us aren't living the resurrected life. You seek other powers to bring, you, to bring your life back from the dead. The power of yourself, the power of this world. If Christ has rendered powerless the prince of this world, has he not also rendered powerless the things of this world to which you cling to and seek out to make your life more livable? Only resurrection can bring life, but you must die to yourself and to this world to get it. We don't want to endure suffering. We don't want things to be difficult and hard. We don't want heartache and pain. And so we cling to the things that this world says, well, you don't have to have that pain. You don't have to live with that anxiety. You don't have to do this, that, and the other thing. We can offer you something that can alleviate those. And we cling to them, and they're wrong, and they don't provide us any benefit. And what Jesus says is that I'm going to give you a power that's not necessarily going to change your current situation, but you will get through it with joy and love and peace and patience. You will be able to endure the hardest things that the world fears because of the power of the resurrection. The resurrection life isn't going out of style. Many many of us consume things like they're going out of style. Just yesterday, Bo woke up from his nap, and uh, he wanted some pretzels, and so like a good father, I gave him the good things, and he gave pretzels. But that dude ate them as if they were the last two pieces of food in the whole entire world. And I had to say, slow your roll, buddy. He was like, God, he's so good. And he's just like, he's devouring them as if nothing, he's never going to eat again. And a lot of us are living our lives as if there is nothing to look forward to, there's nothing we can experience now, and so we got to get what we got to get. we got to really grow our retirement account because that's our, our nest egg, that's our goose egg, that's what we need to live off of. We don't know what the future has in store for us. And we cling to things of this world like they're going out of style. We hoard them in. But in the resurrected life, we know what is coming and we know how we can live now and we can find rest and peace in those things because resurrected life is not ever going to go out of style. You can enjoy it. You can spread it out to everyone. The resurrected life imitates Jesus and not the world. I must confess that I do not like to listen to much of K-Love or Air One or a lot of the Christian radio stations. 
I would prefer to listen to more uh, than just something that's positive and encouraging. If I really wanted that, I'd just listen to a Tony Robinson podcast. But I want to listen to music that sings about the resurrected life. That's more than just positive and encouraging, but it actually allows me to sing about what is really ultimately true for those who believe in Jesus. That we can overcome the sin, that this world is not all there is, It's more than that. But it seems to me, and the reason why I struggle with Christian radio so much is because every time I listen to it, like uh, Melissa had it on when she dropped me off this morning at the church, and I was like, oh, Adele's Christian now? She's singing. That's great. Ed Sheraton, oh, he's Christian now. He's singing. I'm like, time out. These people sound like the secular world to me. And it seems to me, and I know you could disagree, but this is just my assessment, seems to me that they're finding a bunch of artists to, in, order, in order to imitate what the, what the world says is really good. The world says, man, these people can sing. These people jive. These are good artists. And so they're like, hey, we need somebody that sings like Adele. Let's get, the, let's get, let's get on that. And when they find themselves imitating the world rather than Christ. Do we have such a shallow view of the resurrected life that we need to borrow from the world what they believe to be the best quality? Does the world offer us anything of true value that we can claim for the life that we are meant to live in Christ? Or does Christ only offer true life, a life lived in victory and freedom? This is a question that you will need to wrestle with. In looking at the conduct of your life, are you imitating the best of the things of the world offers you, or are you imitating the best of what Christ offers you, the resurrected life? This is the point that Paul is making to the Corinthians, how they prevent themselves from being influenced by the outside world, what is true about how we achieve wisdom, how Christians ought to live in, by, and through is the resurrected life. That's what Paul is offering to them. It's like you're concerned about being influenced by the world. We overcome the world because we live a resurrected life. Therefore, our lives must resemble the present world we live in, but of the resurrected world that is coming upon Jesus' return. John says it this way, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Now, I've walked you through a world where resurrection is a lie. I've hopefully painted you a picture about what the resurrection life looks like. We've searched the scriptures to try to seek more of what that looks like, and now I want to paint a different picture. I want to share with you the stories of those who have been exposed and who are walking in the resurrection life. First, I want to look at the paralytic. It's one of my favorite stories in the gospel, and I think that this story offers us the greatest picture we can understand with redemption and resurrection uniting and having a full faith. In the story of the paralytic, four of his friends come, and there's a massive crowd, and Jesus is teaching in a house, and they can't get to Jesus. So they start peeling apart the roof, and they lowered him down right before Jesus. And Jesus looks, and seeing their faith, not a partial faith, but a full faith, that's important. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
And then the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody listening, like, who is this man to claim that he can forgive sins? For only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus, recognizing and knowing what's in their hearts and in their minds, thinking that they're questioning whether or not he has the power to forgive sins, whether or not he is God, he says, okay, well, so that you know that your sins are forgiven, I want you to take your pallet, get up, and go home. That is resurrection, bringing to life dead legs so that he can walk in the newness of life. That is redemption and resurrection in a picture. And so the testimony that the paralytic offers you is that if you want to glorify God, you have to not only cling to the forgiveness of sins, but you have to move forward and press on in resurrected life. Because had he just said your sins are forgiven, notice in the account, and you can go look it up in Luke chapter 5, when he says your sins are forgiven, that's not when he gets up. He gets up when Jesus says, now rise. And the same thing happens in your life and what Jesus offers you. The second is Mary Magdalene. This offers a glimpse of resurrection and relationship. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping because Jesus was dead. The lover of her greatest love is dead. And she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in, in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus was lying. And they said to her, Women, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She said, When she said, had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, you would tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Roboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I have ascended to the Father and to your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. How overjoyed it must have been for Mary to realize that Jesus has risen. The love of her life was no longer dead, but something significant lies within the words of Jesus to her. Do not cling to me, he said, for I have not ascended to the Father. Mary's experience of the resurrected life of Jesus is one about intimate relationship with the Savior. Jesus is no longer dead, and so she clings to him as to never lose him again. Jesus tells her that he must ascend to the Father so that she can have a more intimate relationship with him by having his very spirit living within her. Mary testifies that the resurrection life makes intimacy with Jesus deep and possible and everlasting. And we have Thomas, who gives us a, a, a testimony of resurrection and reality. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here, your hand, and put it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who do not see me, and yet believe. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. When they were talking about how Jesus was alive, he doubted. The resurrection wasn't real to him. Here we see Jesus approach Thomas, knowing about his death, or knowing about his doubt, so that the resurrection life would become his new reality. Thomas testifies that the resurrection life is real. It removes all doubt, and confidence can be restored. Thomas speaks to those who, like him, stubbornly doubt the power of the resurrection and the reality it offers in their life. Thomas has seen Jesus crucified and, and dead, but now he sees him alive, walking around, and he believes. And he is faced with the, and he comes face to face, not with a dead Lord, but a resurrected Lord, his God, his Lord. So now he lives in reality of resurrection. Peter provides us a testimony of resurrection and restoration. In the very same scene where Jesus is on the shore and they're out fishing, and Jesus tells them to put their net on the other side of the boat, they realize immediately thereafter when they pull up their fish that that is Jesus. John looks to Peter and goes, it's Jesus! And Peter just takes off. And he takes off to go see Jesus. And Jesus has this fire over coals. And Peter immediately, probably, I would assume, knows the significance of fire over coals because the last time he was over fire and coals, he denied Jesus three times in a courtyard while Jesus was dying. And so Jesus can, asks him after they eat, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Follow me. Peter is known well for his denial of Jesus, but we also know how Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel in the book of Acts, played a significant role in initiating the church, and died for what he believed. The testimony that Peter offers us about the resurrected life is the is the most compelling for a resurrected life to be lived out in the, this side of heaven. Peter encounters the resurrected Lord who restores him from his denial. But Jesus also doesn't uh, deny the road that lies before him. will be just like the road that he encountered in the courtyard that one night he denied. But we see that Peter doesn't when he finds himself in another proverbial courtyard where the opportunity is really harsh to deny Jesus, he doesn't deny Jesus. And Jesus tells him that. You will die for me, and you won't deny me, but you will glorify me through your life. That's the power of the resurrected life. It restores you and gives you a life to where you will not deny what you believe. The last testimony I offer to you is my own. I, I blame Deborah for um, singing Before the Throne. Man, that, that song gets me. And so I, I was not emotional at all today. During that song, I, I lost it because it's a song that I have sung in myself over and over and over again in the most gruesome times of my life. See, it's my belief in the resurrected life that stayed my hand upstairs in my parents' room in Madison, Indiana, when I had made a horrific mess and ruin of my life. And I was 
um, awaiting my arraignment to go to jail, to be imprisoned. I had ruined everything in my life. My family's life, my reputation, like my ability to get a job, everything. In that moment, on that blue carpet, I was on the floor. And I was like, if, if you ruin your life, it makes the most logical sense to end it. I don't have to endure it. I don't have to go to jail. I don't have to face the world that hates me. I don't have to see the misery of the pain I've caused my loved ones. So I called out to God and I said, I need to know that resurrection is real, that my life can be restored. Because if it can't, you tell me why. I should just not die right now. And it wasn't a verbal voice, but I felt in my spirit. He said, you don't move your hand. I'm not done. I'm standing here. And I went through all that because I believed that he can restore my life that I don't need anything else, that he is all, he is sufficient, that I could be more than a conqueror. I am a living testimony that says to you, the resurrection life is real, or else I wouldn't be here proclaiming it to you. I have experienced it. I've only claimed for the majority of my life the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's fine and dandy, but that still doesn't take the blade away from your wrist unless there is resurrection, unless Jesus is real and he can walk with you in this present life and gives you the hope of the one to come. We've got to live not just in re into redemption, but into resurrection right now. Your life isn't forfeit. You've made a mess of things. All of us have. We have all been made ruined. But from these ruins, God raises up. And why? Why all these testimonies that we are given in Scripture of encountering this resurrected life? Hebrews 6.12 says, so that you would not be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience believed in these promises. So in closing... A world without resurrection is death. A world with resurrection is life. Pretty simple. What does the story of your life testify concerning what you believe about the resurrected life? How about you take a stroll down the road of your life? Does it give evidence of a resurrected life? Or does it give evidence of a life that is only stuck in defeat? Are you only content to live with what you are saved from? Or do you crave to be saved to something? Jesus doesn't offer you just one, but is offering a total package of both. Will you now take the measures to begin to live out a full faith, which is the resurrected life? Will you not just lay there having your sins forgiven, but will you actually rise up and walk in the resurrected life? Let's pray.